Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. We're so glad you have joined us for this audio sermon. You can find a full archive of sermons on our website, holycommunion.net. This sermon was preached by me, the Reverend Mike Angel, Rector of Holy Communion, on the sixth Sunday of September 2020, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. Gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. This won't be a usual sermon. I need to lay something at the feet of the church this morning. The past week and a half, I've been thinking about something that President Obama said a month or so after uh, Trayvon Martin was shot and killed. As he reflected on the incident, the president said, you know, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon. I can't get those words out of my head. A week and a half ago, a 17-year-old named Kyle Rittenhouse drove to Kenosha, Wisconsin with his gun. His social media posts were full of support for the police and Blue Lives Matter. In a brief interview he gave to a right-wing website uh, that evening, Rittenhouse said he felt it was his job to protect businesses in Kenosha. A few hours later, he had shot and killed two people. I'm a new dad, just over a year into parenting. I can't stop thinking. I have a son, and he looks like Kyle Rittenhouse. We adopted through the foster care system, knowing it was likely that we were going to be parenting across a racial divide. Ellis and I talked about what it was going to be to work on teaching cultural competency. We were grateful that we belonged to such a diverse congregation, We were grateful for the offers from a couple of our longtime black women members if we adopted a little black girl to teach us how to do her hair. We ended up adopting a little white boy. Next month, he'll turn two. And this week, I realized I still need my church. I still need my church's help. I'm scared about what it means to raise my son in his own culture. I feel in over my head. The first mass shooting that touched my life, a number of you know, it happened at the high school down the road from mine. Two white boys killed themselves and 13 others at Columbine. I'll never forget the names Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris. I'll never forget all of the profiles that the news ran in the days after the shooting of these two kids who looked like me. I also keep thinking of Dylan Roof, that troubled white kid who killed so many of God's children at Mother Emanuel, who wanted to start a race war. Jesus says in today's gospel, if your brother or your sister sins against you, go and correct them. If they won't listen, take one or two others with you. If they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. I really wish I had answers today. I really wish I did. It is tempting as a preacher to climb up into the pulpit and pretend to have a solution. This Sunday, I really don't. I need to report to the church that we are missing a mark as a culture and how we're raising white boys. 
This conversation isn't working privately. We need to take it public. We need to take it to the church. A disproportionate number of mass shootings are committed by young white men. I don't think that there's been enough, not nearly enough research that problematizes whiteness and maleness as an identity. We need psychologists and sociologists to study white men, not as some norm group, but for aberrant behavior. What is it that happens at the toxic intersection of whiteness, masculinity, and gun culture? What messages can we avoid? How can those of us who are parents steer our boys in another direction, a better direction? If I'm honest, it's not just masters that scare me. It's the guys I grew up with. I knew too many young white men, people I considered friends in high school, who went off to Afghanistan and or Iraq with the U.S. military and then came back using racist language I'd never heard from them before. They had awful names, dehumanizing names, for the people of the countries where they were deployed. And the racist language didn't stop there. And some of those former military folks, they're now working as police officers. Police departments across the country, including here in St. Louis, have been credibly accused for fostering a culture of casual racism, misogyny, and homophobia, perpetrated largely by white men. Even as I say these words, I don't want you to hear that I am anti-police. I'm not anti-police. I am upset that so many of my tax dollars are being paid out to people who were harassed or abused by the police. But I wish it was as easy as taking a side. I, I wish just voting for the right candidate or putting the right sign in my lawn could fix this. I bring to this to the church today because I know it's not that simple. I, didn't, I don't know what the answer is, but I know it's not simple. If I'm honest, I don't know if I've challenged that language enough with my friends. I know sometimes I let things slide because I don't want to get into a big argument about homophobia or racism. I've been through a number of anti-racism trainings. Every time I've had to work against an internal urge inside of myself that says, Mike, you don't need this. You're not a racist. Just showing up has been hard. Every time I go ahead and participate in a training, I realize this can't just be about me getting, being right. It can't be about me being right. Brene Brown says as a white woman, when she is questioned about race or privilege, she has to take a moment to pause before she responds reactively, defensively. She has to say to herself, do I want to be right or do I want to get it right? If I'm out to prove that I'm not a racist, I've already lost. Because racism is a lot bigger than me. I need to work on my little piece of getting it right. I need to be willing to be corrected to learn. And I've got to get my eyes out beyond myself. I've also been thinking this week about the Passover story from Exodus. The story of the children God spared. I remember after Mike Brown was murdered, I went to a number of gatherings in churches in Ferguson and Florissant. I heard black parents talk 
about how hard it was to raise a black son, how they had to teach their boys to keep their hands visible and to speak respectfully if they encountered a police officer. These parents in North County talked about how hard it was to keep their sons out of trouble off the streets. I'll never forget the anger in Leslie McSpadden, Michael Brown's mother's voice, when she told reporters, do you know how hard it was for me to get him to graduate from high school? I remember talking to the parents of black children in the wake of Michael's death. To a person, they told me, it felt like by the grace of God, their child had been spared. I know as the father of a white boy, my worry is nothing like that faced by the parents of black children. The police let Kyle Rittenhouse walk away from Kenosha. He is alive today to face charges. The police treatment of Dylan Roof focused on the Burger King meal that the police officers bought the killer before they booked him. My sister still lives in Jefferson County, Colorado. She's a school psychologist, and she's done some work with the mother of Dylan Klebold, one of the Columbine shooters. Sue Klebold speaks around the country about the importance of suicide prevention and mental health work. She talks to parents about moral injury, the pain that folks face when they feel like they didn't do enough to stop a tragedy. In an interview a few years ago, Sue Klebold said this, if we get into an argument and say this is because of mental illness or this is because of bullying or because of white supremacy or because of guns, none of us is right. It's a combination of many things that work together in a perfect storm of opportunity and readiness. Never simplify how these things happen, why these things happen. I come before you because I know it isn't simple. And I know I need help to raise my son. I also stand in this pulpit today to tell you I know a lot of wonderful, thoughtful, caring, good white men. I do. A number of my closest friends are straight white Christian men who care, who work to dismantle racism and homophobia, who respect women, who are working to keep guns out of the hands of criminals, who are working to educate and to help. I hope my son will grow up to be like them. And I know that raising a good, caring Christian child isn't simple. This last week and a half, I know I can't do it alone. I can't raise my son to be culturally competent alone. So today, I come to you, my church, to say I need help. Jesus says wherever two or three of us are gathered, he will be in the midst of us. We say that we as a church, we're a church that seeks to follow Jesus and to make Christ's reconciling love known in our city, nation, and world. Normally, I think of that mission in an outward direction. But this week, I know we need to face inward as well. We live in a broken and sinful world, and I need your help to make sure my kid faces that world with love, not hate. Amen.